Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Aaron Lowe. And if this is your first episode and you're wondering what this whole thing is all about, well, I'll tell you. Every week, I find my head surgically attached to the body of a different friend and cinephile. Together, we are given a note containing a theme, sometimes specific and sometimes vague. Our job is then to pick a pair of movies that fit that theme and then watch and discuss. This is The Incredible Two-Headed Podcast. Welcome back to the show, another week of the Incredible Two-Headed Podcast. And this time we've got another return guest, somebody we haven't seen in a while, far too long if you ask me. We are joined today by Johnny Duarte. Johnny, how's it going? Hey, it's good to be back. I feel like uh, the last time I was on was like February, I think. Man, was it that long ago? Well, I think when we did. No, no, we recorded in January, but it didn't come out, I think, till February. Uh, we did Spontaneous and Battle Royale. That's right. Yeah, we did. It was a while back because we, I remember rewatching it. In, yeah, I remember it was like Spontaneous was the, um, it, it was uh, Biden being sworn in that day. Yes, yes, it was. And it was a couple days after the riots. Mm. Yeah, we were all like, feeling pretty uneasy <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> but it is now spring i mean it's summer it's everything is great summer soon summer officially starts later this month oh that's right so i i i failed at geography okay so please don't blame Did me you say you failed geography yeah i failed geography that, that's not all apparently <laughs> great <laughs> <laughs> I I wasn't a great student in high school. Let's just move on from that. Oh no, I wouldn't have known either. Except I I looked up because I've got a series I'm doing this summer. Um, I'm going to be doing a bunch of noir films this summer, and I looked up the official dates of summer so it would coincide with that. And otherwise, I wouldn't know. I would I would call this summer because it certainly feels like it. We're in the 80s outside, but that's okay, LA. Still spring. Okay. Oh well, there you go. But that, you know, it's been a few months then. How have you been doing? Uh, what, what's been going on with you? Um, just been really hard at work, actually. Uh, again, I've been writing for Creepy Kingdom, as always. And I, uh, I actually uh, just, I just, sorry. I just wrapped up a, a short called My Date's a Scanner, uh, which is out on Vimeo, uh, Vimeo right now. You can watch that on online. Um, and I just, I'm about to go on to another, uh, short film right now. Uh, my buddy Kimberly just finished writing as of today. Uh, she finished writing a script for a, uh, a new short. The, uh, the, the working, the working title is called out per delivery. It's, there's going to be a lot of cat puns in this one. There's not too much, like, I don't want to say too much about the short, but it's very funny and I'm very proud of her because this is the first thing she's written in, in a long, long time. And I thought it was great. So. Well, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, so my dates with Scanner is just out there for everybody to see right now. Yeah. But yeah, that's really all I've been doing right now. Just trying to continue to shoot everything. <laughs> that's basically it. So, but yeah, I'm just prepping for this new short. Uh, hopefully I should get it done before the end of June. And then it should be released in uh, next month. 
Awesome, awesome. Plus, uh, you've got some other exciting events going on. Like uh, you're, you're going back to theaters today. I believe you've been back to theaters, right? But oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've been back to theaters, but this is the first time I've gone to this specific theater. As the time of this recording, uh, this week, at the time of this recording, the new Beverly Cinema just reopened uh, the first week of June, and uh, I'm going the second night of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So it's my first time. I, actually, I'm not going to lie. It's my first time actually watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at the New Bev. I didn't see it when it first came out. Yeah, I I, I saw that at, uh, at one of the Lemleys here. I, I've never been to the New Bev. What? Yeah, I, I know. Like, wow. I, I, I spent so many years down here in L.A., not doing all of these things, like just kind of ignorant. Like I knew in the new Bev, I, it was always my plan to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, There's all this stuff I would see that I was like, oh, so excited about. I spent so many, so much time down here just not doing it. And then once I started to like go out to some of these, these cool uh, shows and stuff, uh, you know, lockdown happened. Yeah. <laughs> the last movie I went to was the Cinematic Void in January of last year. Oh, wow. I'm very much looking forward to getting back out there. Looking forward to getting back into a theater sometime. Uh, Amber and I are looking ahead to our, some of our concerts that got uh, rescheduled. Ooh, are are now re- like coming up. So we've got a lot of shows we're going to be going to later this year. That's exciting. Yeah, no, it's it's uh it's fun to see things reopen. I, I'm I, I won't lie, I won't lie, but I mean, there's certain things I'm certainly going to miss about you know spending a year indoors not having to do anything (laughs) (laughs) no i get it but i mean i'm i mean look going back to like look going back to the movies for me again just like like just like any other movie experience it has its ups and downs like you know it has its ups because you're in you know you're at a movie theater it's something you i always go to the downside you still have those idiots still kind of texting a little bit being annoying like i'm starting to see other people post if you if you see if you go on twitter there's people posting like this woman like is putting up her feet her disgusting looking feet on top of a like a seat and it's just like oh seriously and then there's other people saying like oh people are talking throughout the entire film and they're like well so glad i'm back at the movies oh you figure those people would just realize hey it was cheaper to just stay home and talk during the movie Exactly. And it's like, get get the fuck out of there, you know? You, like, you, your kind is not allowed at the movie theater. I have to assume that's not so much a problem at the new bed, though. Oh, absolutely. No, no, no. That's going to be very, very... Um... Like the the safety measures that they uh, that they put in there is is is, is beautiful. Like uh, my row, I, I just checked my seating row. There's only three people in my row available. So I'm literally in the middle front. So I'm getting the front row seat, literally. But yeah, it's all spread apart. Like everybody is like basically at least between three to five in each row spread out. Yeah. Which I like that seating chart because, you know, you don't have to, you know, but most of the people there, I mean, I know most of the people there in a way, you know, so like, it's kind of like going back to family per se, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I get that. I get that. And hopefully I'll be able to do that soon myself. So uh, perhaps we should get to the, the you know what we're here for today. We, we've got a little bit of a limited time today because we, we got to get you out of here so you can get back to the, the you know, this wonderful world we've been talking about. You can get back to the new Bev. Let's get to our movies and our, our theme today. Our theme today is stunts. So 
movies about or featuring stunts. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. Here's a listen to a trailer for the first film, which is Hooper, starring Burt Reynolds, Sally Field, and Jan Michael Vincent. Burt Reynolds is Hooper, and Hooper is a real hero. He can take more crashes. Oh, jeez! More fire. Ah. Hello, gorgeous. More love. More hits. He can take more risks and have more fun than anyone can imagine. This is Cooper, the story of the greatest stuntman of them all. And his competition. Wait a year and a half to meet you. How's that? I get to perform with Sonny Hooper. Oh, hell, that ain't no big deal. I mean, Burt Reynolds. Jan Michael Vincent. Sally Field. I'm yours. Brian Keith. James Best. Robert Klein. And Terry Bradshaw. In Hooper's world, talk is cheap. And life is cheaper. We may be in trouble. A stunt is a gag. And a gag is no laughing matter. Bam! Building falls on you, crushes you, fade out the end. Great, Roger. Of course, we'll have a dozen cameras going. And when the director yells, Action! Go! 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 I'm gonna hit it! He really means action. Hooper's in a dangerous business, but his reward is excitement, adventure, and a fortune if he lives to collect it. Burt Reynolds is Hooper, the greatest stuntman alive. I love stuntmen. Hooper, the newest movie from the team that brought you Smokey and the Bandit. Hooper is a 1978 action comedy starring Burt Reynolds as the titular Hooper, a stunt coordinator on a big budget action film. Hooper is the best in the business, but time is catching up to him and leaving its mark on his battered body, leading to an existential crisis as Hooper is desperate to make his mark and pull off one last great historic stunt before he ages out of the business. Now this was one of Burt Reynolds' several collaborations with Hal Needham. Um, I have to admit that this is kind of a blind spot in my filmic education. Uh, I, I don't know why, I just was not around these movies much. I mean, certainly I, I knew of the, like, Smoking the Bandit, I knew of Burt Reynolds and his appearances on talk shows and everything, but actually watching these movies, I, I didn't see them in uh, some of them, I, I still haven't seen. It's been recently that I've been getting into them. In fact, I just watched Smoking the Bandit for the first time earlier oh, this year. Whoa, really? I know, I know. <laughs> and uh, and this marks the first time I watched Hooper as well. And I'm really, really glad you chose it. Oh, so happy to hear that from you. Partly because I really enjoyed this movie, but also because, like, yeah, I, I need to get into this. I need to dig into more of these movies. The, this kind of, like, exploitation was such a big deal in the 70s. And, you know, I, I was still seeing some of the after effects of it, like, you know, country music and Convoy and like stuff like yeah. that. But I just, I don't know why I was not around these movies. I mean, my, my family just didn't care for movies as much as I do. But, yeah. But still, I, I you know, you, you figure I would have seen it on TV or they would have rented it sometime. No, you're, so this is your choice. I want to hear what you have to say about this really quick. Uh, obviously you've seen this before. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, my parents had it on VHS and on DVD and whatnot. And I've always enjoyed it because it's just there, there's nothing there's nothing to like really follow in the story in a way. It's just a fun, fun movie. I mean, it's it's literally like I, said, I mean, with how when you have the name Hal Needham in a, in a directing a movie, you know, you're going to have a good time. Because, I mean, you have Hooper, you have obviously Smokey and the Bandit, and then, uh, of course, later on in his career, he did Rad, the BMX movie. And yeah, he just, and it's, and he was a, and going back to Hooper for a second, he, he was a, he was a stuntman for many years, you know, before he became a director, and Burt Reynolds was a stuntman as well before he became an actor, and they both kind of, and that's how they kind of connected with each other. And Hooper is literally just all in out the a huge ass love letter to the stunt stunt men and women of the movie industry all the stunts in this film shine especially towards the end uh, we'll get to that scene at the end but it, it's just it's just fun it's just a fun fun movie and of course you have you know the lovely sally field you know playing the, the playing the girlfriend of burt reynolds and of course they were they're an item at the time they were a big item at the time yeah, the, the, there's nothing I can. Okay, there's only one thing I can say, kind of not bad about this film, but it was it kind of like shot it down for me. Was uh the scene where I know I'm jumping up all around on this, but the scene where Burr Reynolds gets on the horse and you see Sally Field kind of looking at him like from the distance, riding that horse, and you have that really sappy Tammy Wynette song. Yeah, yeah. That completely just kind of breaks you out of the movie because you're having a great time. You have this, this, that great Hollywood stunt, the, the Hooper theme song playing, like it's just going at it. It's going crazy. And then it's just, and then it just turns to this w really weird out of place song in this movie. But that's just me at least. I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but it is, it is definitely kind of a, a, a scene to stop and showcase like the big, single off of the soundtrack but in the terms of how that fits into the story i didn't mind it partially because like i'm not the biggest country fan in the world and like then i i'm actually not a big fan of that 70s era of really glossy country uh -huh. but it is something that is kind of ingrained in me from childhood that even though i'm not a big fan of that music that scene and the music and how it played out was oddly nostalgic and comforting to me, even though I'm not sure I've ever heard that song before. I, I don't know if, uh -huh. if, if you kind of understand, like, but from just a story angle as well, what I liked about this movie was, I liked kind of the, the melancholy that runs throughout this movie. It's a very easygoing movie. It's not meant to make you sad in any way. It's a, it is kind of like a, just an amiable, charming film, but I like the melancholy that comes with it, that it's, it, it it's kind of quiet how Burt Reynolds is kind of fighting against his age. That yeah. That, yeah, he does some destructive things, but he's not like, and, and there, are, there are moments when he has blowups and there, there's obviously the fight scene in the, you know, the brawl. Yeah. But the movie is generally kind of quiet about, or allowing moments of reflection. And I thought that was really kind of like a nice moment where she comes out and she sees him and he's, you know, he's kind of had this like drunken night and, and things are not going well for him, but he's just out there, right? Trotting around on the horse, you know, like yeah, cheering himself up or, or maybe just wallowing. I thought it, I thought it was perfectly fine. It did not take me out of the movie at all. Okay. 
because I, I remember the the last the last time I saw it before the I I just bought the Blu-ray of it. I saw it a couple of years ago when the I guess the the first month the Alamo Draft House in L.A. downtown L.A. opened, they actually had a uh, kind of like a campaign to uh, to kind of get like a best stunt assemble um, uh, category for the uh, for the Academy Awards. Yeah, yeah. The fact that there aren't Academy Awards for stunt work is like a crime. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's a crime because I mean, look, I mean, if you look at especially the newer, like Mad Max Fury Road is, is a huge, like huge, like um, example of this, of like at least because I mean, nowadays, I mean, look, I would say, oh, and of course the Fast and Furious films. Yes, those films are kind of shitty, but the stunt, a lot of the stunt work in that film, those films are pretty damn impressive watching this the first thing i noticed when i i started it because I, I didn't do any reading on it i just knew it was hal needham and burt reynolds mm -hmm. is holy crap what a cast oh yeah you know burt reynolds sally field adam west as himself brian keith all these character actors that i haven't seen in years that but that you know were so prevalent in my childhood jan michael vincent from airwolf and I've seen him in other movies. I think he's a fine actor, but it's still like fun to see him. Mm. Um, James Best as uh, Cully, his his uh, handler, I guess the guy, the partner that works with him that has all of his the medical kit, basically. Yeah, yeah. That that's James Best, and mm. he is Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane on the Dukes of Hazard. Yes, a, a show that is problematic now, but when I was a kid, was the shit. Like it was such a I, I can't explain how big that show was when I was a kid. Uh, I, I was seven when it off, went off the air, I think. But um, I remember I had this like little Hot Wheels belt. It was a plastic belt, but the belt buckle was just a, like this clear plastic dome that uh, the car, the General Lee was in. And you could just yeah. lay the belt out and open the, the belt buckle and the car would like shoot out down the, the track of the belt, basically. Yeah. And it was really cool. And now I think about it, I'm like, oh, I'm a like six-year-old kid up in Anch like Anchorage, Alaska, walking around. I don't think I ever wore it, but it's like a belt with the Confederate flag as the buckle. Like, oh my god! <laughs> but you know, as, at that age, I didn't know what the what the Confederate flag was. I didn't, of course, thought it was whatever it was. But still, it's like, yeah, that show. Just like all of my friends knew that show and loved it and had like the car toys from Hot Wheels or whatever. Anyway. I watched this and I thought he was, um, have you seen the stunt man? I haven't, I have not actually. Okay. So the stunt man, if I had not watched this just a little while ago for the show, uh, like covered it for the show, I would have suggested that because that movie makes such a perfect pairing with Hooper. Like it, it's madness on a movie set and, um, it, it it's just like kind of like got a, a similar playful feel to it. Yeah. Uh, but I thought, um, I, I can't remember the character's name. Is it Char Charles Bale, I think? Um, yeah. So I thought James Best was Charles Bale from The Stuntman. And he plays like this similar role. He's like kind of the, the coordinator, the guy that, you know, it, Anyway, it's a similar role. I thought that yeah. was him. And oh, really? 
I was like looking at images on Google and like, is this him? Is it, it looks exactly like him. And then my friend Rick is the one who pointed out it was Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane. And I was mortified. Like, I can't believe I didn't notice that. <laughs> That's funny, though. I mean, yeah, I didn't know that. So back to the cast. Adam West, we got to talk about him really quick, is the star of a film, The Spy Who Loved Danger, I think is the name of it. Uh-huh. The Spy Who Laughed at Danger. Oh, The Spy Who Laughed at Danger. It's clearly meant to be a Roger Moore-era James Bond film. Oh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. And Hooper is his stunt double. Adam West is playing himself. I love that every time you see him, he's just doing one little thing on screen. Then he walks off with a couple of women that are hanging off stage for him. They don't look anything alike. Like they've given Adam West Burt Reynolds mustache, but their <laughs> yeah. hair is like they don't even put a wig on Burt Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, or or on Adam West, so they, they look similar in long shots. I, it, they don't look anything like each other. They would be so obvious in this film. I was gonna say because I feel like that doesn't really matter to the story, at least you know. No, it, it doesn't. But it, it it just like added to my overall confusion about how this movie views the movie industry because this is this is a movie about movies and it's made by people who did these roles like Hal Needham was a stunt guy so yeah. he knew how this would work and now he's a director so he knows he should know how that works I was confused by how the film thinks the movie industry works that the stuntman any like a stuntman can just rewrite a scene I guess like we're, we're jumping like way into the plot and we haven't introduced, but there's a scene where Jan Michael Vincent as the, as a ski, the kid yes, is, um, is doing a stunt with Burt Reynolds. And the stunt is basically just a near miss car accident. And yeah. then the director is like, that yeah, didn't look that great. And Jan Michael Vincent says, uh, it's going to take some time, but I can do a better stunt. And he's like, okay, do it. And then that daytime scene of a near miss cars, like turning a corner near miss turns into a car drives past a church at night where two monks in robes light a fire around the car, kidnap <laughs> out of it and run away. How was that going to fit into the movie based like, how do you just replace a car turning a corner really fast with a kidnapping? <laughs> like you'd have to rewrite a lot of other stuff, right? Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I, it doesn't matter. Like you said, we, we don't need to worry about any of that <laughs> for how this movie works, but it was still kind of like, because yes, there's a, there's a lot of inaccurate things. I mean, to has to be in a movie, you know, to do a movie. But again, that doesn't really matter. I feel like it's definitely the the main mean potatoes of this film is the stunts to see how cool and how amazing the men and women of this industry like, you know, pretty much almost kill themselves <laughs> to for for a scene, you know. Like, yeah, definitely. I mean, I like definitely look look if you I mean look that the whole bar scene that is literally a stunt person's like you know fantasy because you just see them having a great time through you know swinging at you know swinging at each other throwing fake bottles at each other tossing them out the window and I just I forgot I completely forgot that the bar is actually is actually an outside bar there is no roof it's all completely outside well, I was a bit confused about that because there is a scene where it looks like they're inside. That Barbaral scene looks like they're inside. Later, you see it's outside. I thought maybe that was just supposed to be the, like behind the bar, like the backyard, basically. I no, at, 
no, I actually, well, I noticed the, the in the first, uh, the first scene when we see the bar at night, you, if you kind of like, they, you don't really see the roof at all, like, but you do see like street lights above. So it, oh. it's, it still is the outside of the bar. I mean, it's still the bar, but yeah, the whole location is set outside, but everything is closed in. Interesting. That, that is weird. That's a weird decision. It, it is. It's a very weird decision, but again, I, I, again, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's yeah. like it, you shouldn't really care about it because you just you're just there to watch people getting thrown out the windows and punching each other, you know? Yeah, and that that bar fight scene is actually kind of a great one to bring up because I called this movie amiable and charming, mm-hmm. and this movie is very good natured. All the characters in it, like you know, they're good old boys. That yeah, they they may not they may not. <laughs> they, some of them may be assholes. Um, certainly, they there's that scene where they're all driving down the street and they kind of like hassle that cop. And part of yeah. that's like, like, yeah, a cab, fuck that cop. But, but then the other <laughs> part of it is like, well, they're doing really dangerous, illegal stuff, drinking and driving. And they almost they could have killed the cop with that little stunt they pulled on him, where they like, oh, yeah, they chain his they chain his bike up so when he speeds off, he goes flying off of it. Um, and it's all it's all just done in fun, so I don't want to read too much into it. But, and, and, and also, just even going back before that that scene, just having that one scene of just everyone just driving recklessly, these two women jumping to another car to give them a beer, and just like having Burt Reynolds just driving backwards, you know, through through like a, almost a mile with that truck. There's some impressive stunt work in this movie. Just super fucking impressive work. It's really, really cool looking. Like, I, I agree. All the car stuff is great. But the bar fight, to get back to that, like, mm-hmm. I, I like the good-natured charm of this movie a lot. I love yeah. all of the relationships with people. Even adversarial relationships turn out to, they, they end in friendship, pretty much. Yeah, because you have, I mean, because you have Terry Bradshaw with hair, <laughs> which is weird to see. Like, you know, he started this, uh, him, you know, beating Burt Reynolds' ass. And at the end of the at the end of the whole scene, they're just patting each other on the back, saying it was a good time, you know. Yeah, they're like, "Oh, that was so much fun! I haven't had that much fun since when? I don't know when." And then they go yeah. back to Reynolds' house and like watch some movies and get drunk some more. That extends to uh, Jan Michael Vincent, the ski. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where when he showed up, I was like, "I know this is where this is going to go. This is going to be professional rivalry." And he's going to be trying to, to prove his worth against the kid. And they're going to like, the kid's going to be this young and cocky guy. They're not going to get along. And then they become great friends, like almost immediately. Like Burt Reynolds is kind of like wary of him. Like he knows like, oh, well, this is the new kid. This guy's, this, this kid's going to supplant me. But he also, he gives him work. Like uh-huh. he, he hires him onto the movie. He supports him all the time. He's like, he can do it. He's, you know, the best I know at this. Yeah. Um, so, so there's not, there's never really any adversarial relationship there, which I, I thought there was going to be from oh, the scenes of the movie. Yeah, and because, uh, well, like I said again, like again, this whole movie is just a love letter to just the stunt community. So yeah, I mean, they're all helping each other out. So I mean, this is literally a kind of a movie about, in some ways, like brotherhood, brother sisterhood of, of the stunt community. You know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that, like, and we got Brian Keith as mm-hmm. Sally Field's dad. Yeah. Who, uh, and he and Burt Reynolds have like a really 
a really fun relationship, especially considering, you know, like he's like the father of your girlfriend, live in girlfriend, and you're, you know, in the same profession and you're the young upstart. Like all of these relationships in another movie could be, uh, could be much more combative. And there's none of that there. Everybody is just like, we get along. We like each other. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, and also he's also pestering uh, yeah, Hooper to, to marry his daughter, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, it's it, it's just it's just a lot a, like a little lighthearted film. And uh, uh, did we talk about Robert Klein yet as uh, as the as as the director? No, we which, have not. Which, according to IMDb, I'm looking at, it seems like uh, that his character is based off of Peter Bogdanovich. I, I, oh my gosh, I did not know that, but that is completely the vibe that he gives. Yeah, but I mean, so I, again, I wouldn't know, I mean, but I think, I think Hal has worked with him before, but I, I don't know, but, but that's what I read. But um, what, what else, what else can we talk? Let's, I want to talk, I definitely want to talk about the, the final sequence. I'm just trying to figure out how, like, how many we- how many days and how many weeks did they have to prep that entire fucking like sequence? Yeah, and how many how many takes? Because in the movie it's supposed to be one take, which is yes. ridiculous. It's ridiculous yeah. for how far <laughs> it goes and how much happens. But it is still kind of like impressive to see just like how much mayhem they cause and how how chaotic it is that that final stunt where. You just got like cars going off the streets everywhere, buildings blowing up on either side, uh, like crashes and spills and flames and explosions. It's ridiculous. Uh Oh, yeah. I mean, and I think the scene's like, I think, seven, eight minutes long, I think. Yeah, it's a, it takes a while. They, they, they put a lot into that scene. <laughs> I mean, especially the, the, car, the, the, the longest car jump. My heart stopped a couple of times every time i watch that scene my heart stops because i know how it ends stupidly i i stupidly know how it ends but it's just the feeling of putting yourself in that situation where you're just gunning in a fucking like rocket jet uh, like a rocket pack shooting your car over a cliff to get to the next area like would you ever do that <laughs> would you be would crazy I enough to do that, that? <laughs> yeah would you be crazy enough to do that uh, no, I, I would not. <laughs> but, um, I was going to say really quick about the, the Elmo draft house screening I went to. Um, they, so they did a whole stunt, you know, kind of a stunt benefit, not a benefit, but a whole like tribute to the stunt community. They showed Mad Max Fury Road. They showed, I think, I forgot what other film that they showed a couple of other films, but of course, Oh, they showed drunken master, but, and then they showed uh Hooper as one of them. And, Hooper and the Hooper screening, they actually had a couple of stunt people there that actually were uh, performers in the movie Hooper. Oh, nice! And they, uh, they, uh, a guy named Buddy Joe Hooker was also there as well, talking about because he he did some of the uh, stunts for Burt Reynolds in that film. Oh, okay. So, uh, but yeah, it was a great screen just hearing all these amazing stories of how they accomplished a lot of these. Um, stunts in this film um what's it called but yeah i mean uh, all in all i mean look this movie i mean look it's a pg movie but i I would say pg-13 nowadays but it's just it's just a good-hearted movie 
I mean, you could be any age, and you you can you can have somebody get amazed by the stunts of this film. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the the rating would be more today because it does have that. Um, it, it does have that like seventies PG where there are there are <laughs> some. Well, for language alone, I think because there are some <laughs> slurs in there that gets a little. Yeah. homophobia in the movie that oh, oh yeah that kind of surprised me i i forget that line too <laughs> when when uh brian keith is saying like you know you know everyone's getting married son's getting married i'm like Ugh, forgot <laughs> i forgot about that line i know i know it, it happens throughout the 80s too sometimes i'll go back to a movie that i love and i'll show my i'll show my oldest daughter who's 17 now uh-huh I'm like, oh, this movie is great, and we'll watch it. And it's like a charming family movie, or or just like not even family, but PG or whatever like that. And then somebody will say some really horrible gay slur, and it'll be like, oh god, <laughs> I just I didn't remember this at all. So there, there there is not that much of it. I think it's really just that one line in this movie. Yeah, no, no, no. There there, there isn't really any crazy uh, profanity at all. Actually, the the line that I keep. Uh, keeps me making me laugh is at the at the beginning of the movie when uh adam west comes in with his two beautiful women like oh how much could i get for that he's like two nipples and a dime yeah and i always think he says two nickels and a dime but i think he really means two nipples and a dime yeah probably but um but yeah like i said i mean it's it's just a fun, I, I i still think it's a fun film and i'm glad you know and i'm glad you enjoyed it as well because this is your first time right it is. It is. Well, like jumping to this ending, uh -huh. I, I kind of, this is too artsy maybe for this movie, but it seemed like it would be perfect. I kind of wanted the movie to end on a freeze frame of them in midair during that final jump. So, like, so we, why, why is that? Well, almost like a Dukes of Hazard commercial break, you know, <laughs> like where they're just <laughs> jumping the car, but I, I wanted it to jump freeze and then like credits roll. And I think maybe it's my love of Tulane Blacktop. Uh-huh. Where like, but I didn't want the film to like melt or anything. I didn't want the, the yeah. screen to go white. I just wanted it to freeze because I felt that the movie should have had a deeper ending than what we got. Because so, so like a Thelma and Louise ending, you just want the car to freeze in midair and just fade and fade to black. Oh, sure, sure. Because <laughs> Because to me, the movie wasn't about, is he going to be able to do this stunt? The movie is about, is he even going to try it? Because Hooper gets word that he's he damaged his body so much. He's using so many pain pills. He goes to see a doctor and the doctor's like, man, I, I put you to be, be, I've put you together the best I can, but like one really bad hit and you're going to be paralyzed from the neck down. And so he's got that hanging over his head. And then he's like, okay, well, I'm just going to quit after this movie. And then here comes the idea of the greatest stunt ever, a rocket car that's going to jump over this downed bridge. And he can't say no to it. He's like, well, he does say no to it for a little while. And then kind of gets like seduced back to it. But like, it's what he's been looking for. He wants, he wants to leave a lasting mark. He's always looking to leave, you know, break a record. And he wants to do something huge before he quits. And so the question to me wasn't, is he going to make the jump? The question was, is he, is he even going to attempt it? Because to me, 
the the movie's conflict is when Sally Fields is just like, if you if you go and do that jump, I'm not going to be here. And he kind of like nods and leaves, right? Like, yeah. like the conflict there, the movie isn't hammering you over the head with his mm-hmm. inner conflict, but it is so much about him coming to terms with what he can and can't do anymore. And he's going to have to say goodbye to something that he loves doing and he's been the best at. That just the idea that he jumps, like I don't care if he if he's paralyzed, I don't care if he makes it out the other side. Just the fact that he did it was kind of what the movie was leading towards. And so they make the jump, they get out, and you know, people are worried about him. And then he's like, Oh, he's okay, yay. Sally Fields actually showed up and is is forgiving him and loves him. And yeah. everybody is just like, Man, uh, Hooper is the best stunt man that ever lived. And he goes over and he punches the director, and it's like, yay, it's like it is what this movie is, but it was such a pat, happy ending, right? Like, uh-huh. I, I was just like, for a moment, I was wanting something a little bit deeper because the movie throughout had been kind of flirting with that. Had been surprising yeah. me with how kind of deep it was uh, in terms of how it portrayed the character of Hooper. Yeah. Okay. That's a that's a new way of thinking it. Actually, speaking of, uh, what was it called? Two Brick Lane? Uh, two lane blacktop. Two lane blacktop. Sorry. Uh, spoiler alert. That movie might be sh- might be uh, showing at the New Bev in July. Shit. I might I might have to break it to go. To- <laughs> I love that movie so much. Yeah. Just just letting you know right now that they will they are going to be uh th- that movie will be will be screening next month. Man, I'm they- 35 too. Yeah, they hinted about it, but it's pretty obvious. It, it, okay. It's it's that. Uh, have you seen it? No, so I might, so I might just be there. I'm sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> no, no, it's okay, it's okay. I mean, I, I, I'm excited just to see it on the big screen. So I mean, it's good. I like, I love Monty Hellman, and um, and he just died a couple months ago. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything more you want to say about uh, about Hooper? No, I think we, I think we said it all. It's, uh, it's, I, I highly recommend it for anyone that loves just stunt work in general and just loves how Needham and Burt Reynolds movies. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. The stunts in this are really good. We didn't really like kind of talk about all of them, but it. it oh no, it's, it's best to just see them. Yeah. Be surprised. And, and it has a really good, charming tone to it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's clear in this, like, why Burt Reynolds was such a star in the late seventies. Like he's. I mean, he's, this is Burt Reynolds at his Burt, most Burt Reynolds-y-ish. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also, I, I forgot to bring up really quick, sorry. Uh, the uh, just he, he, Nothing makes me smile more than him breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, which is, is going to come up again in our next movie discussion, I think. Yeah, yeah. And he breaks it twice in the movie. Yeah. And he, if you know Burt Reynolds primarily from the um, Norm MacDonald impersonations of him, this is yes. this is peak Burt Reynolds. He's chewing the gum in every scene. He's, hey. Like looking at the camera, and he's got the <laughs> laugh, and he he's got yeah. like such a, a high pitched laugh, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's funny, in this, but it's clear to see why he was such a star. Yeah, I mean, he was he's kind he's kind of a likable kind of a likable guy, you know. Like you want to have beers with him, you know. You want to hang out with him, and he's just a he's a he's a He's a happy smart ass. That's basically it. I I will say I feel like 
I feel like I would not get along with this, like the Burt Reynolds type in reality. Like I, I knew a lot of these, those types of people growing up. Oh, really? Like, like uncles and stuff that, that I think modeled themselves after it, after this. Makes it, That would make sense, actually. I don't want to be too disparaging. They're my family. Um, <laughs> but I had, I had some hicks in my family growing up. All right. But I kind of feel like I maybe wouldn't like the, like the Burt Reynolds type, but I always do like him. Like, I, I want to be friends with him when I see the movie. Exactly, exactly. I mean, look, I mean, even in Smoking the Bandit, another film that you just saw for the first time, like, you want to hang out with this guy, you know? Really quickly, I just had this little tiny thing in my notes. Uh-huh. That I, it has nothing to do with anything. But the scene with the stunt with the dog. And yes. the main society is there saying you better not do this stunt with his dog. And they're like, oh, don't worry. We're going to put a fake dog in. And they don't put the fake dog in. So the humane study guy gets mad at him. Even though, of course, we can see it's a very fake looking dog. It's still supposed to be the real dog. Yeah. I love the movie that movies in the 70s and 80s made made the government regulations the bad guy. Uh-huh. Like this and, and like in, in Ghostbusters, how the EPA is the bad guy. Yeah. Just because they don't want four unlicensed schlubs carrying around nuclear reactors and firing lasers randomly through the city. They're yeah. the bad guys. <laughs> yeah, I know. But yeah, I mean, it is it is funny that they make the Humane Society kind of the uh, the bad guys. But it's like, no, really, they shouldn't be doing that stunt with that dog. That dog doesn't understand why it's falling four stories. No, it's true. It's true. I mean, look, there. I mean, back then, like, like even like in the especially in the old western days you know in the uh when they're making westerns they treated the animals like shit like they're like flipping they're flipping horses with like wires and they're just they're treating like they're like hitting like i'm sure there's like yeah there's not that much uh there's a lot of cruelty to animals back then (laughs) well i don't want to make this a theme (laughs) but (laughs) but animal cruelty may be coming up a little bit later during one of our our top fives oh oh um i i'm looking forward to the for what movie <laughs> what movie is that you'll have to wait and find out it's not cannibal holocaust because that's not a stunt movie that's a no. oh my gosh cannibal holocaust man i <laughs> i watched that a couple of years ago and uh-huh. I, it's not way off topic here it's not the type of stuff i like in horror movies like it, it never really interested me as in like oh that sounds like it's a movie i'd love uh-huh. but it's so notorious. I just felt I had to watch it, and so oh, I finally sat down. Same a couple, here. I finally sat down a couple of years ago, and I was kind of like, "Well, two things: the human stuff, all the stuff that everybody talks about, like the director went on trial because people thought he had killed the actors. Yeah. All of that violence did not bother me mm-hmm. because I'm like, I could just tell myself, "Oh, it's just a movie. It's fake." All of the animal cruelty was very hard to watch like i i couldn't watch it it was so it was just so unpleasant oh absolutely i mean i saw it for the first time like maybe two three years ago on like shutter of all play of of course and uh watching it i'm just like oh oh this is it's not only the uh the controversy this is not fuck this is way more controversial than i thought like oh my god that was really hard to watch like yeah like you said the the killing of the people eh, we've seen it we see it all the time but actually see, killing 
I won't get into it, but just seeing animal cruelty in that film really was like, ooh, why am I watching this still? But I'm not enjoying it. <laughs> it's not yeah. one of those I can't stop watching, but it's so bad. But it's it's I couldn't wa- I was trying hard not to watch it, but I couldn't get away from it being like, oh god, this is awful <laughs> that they actually did this. But supposedly, um, after the shoot after the shooting of that those specific scenes, they they gave they gave it all to the I guess the uh, the villagers as food. Yeah, I. I mean, so so there's a there's a like a, a good thing that came out of it. <laughs> maybe, and I mean, maybe that's just my hypocrisy, and I, I've talked about it before, yeah. where it's just like, yeah, I, part of me is like, okay, but if the villagers were doing this for food, I wouldn't mind. It's just the fact that they're doing it for a movie that's it's, bothering. Yeah, no, so I no, I totally agree with you on that. If they give it to the villagers, that's good, but still, it's just like, but you just did this just for a movie. And, yeah. And, I mean, it, it is meant to make the characters look unlikable and irredeemable, but still, like, it doesn't it doesn't quite excuse it. <laughs> no, I mean, you're absolutely right on that. I mean, I, I mean, sure, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That's it. <laughs> that's all I got for that movie. All right, all right. Well, hey, that's our discussion of Hooper. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so let's take a quick little break. We'll be right back. We'll be talking about Death Proof, my pick for the week. Buckle up, because a new kind of terror is coming at 200 miles per hour. Ladies, we're going to have some fun. There are a few things as fetching as a bruised ego on a beautiful angel. Is that cowboy wisdom? I'm not a cowboy, Pam. I'm a stuntman. Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof. This car is 100% death-proof. Only to get the benefit of it, honey, you really need to be sitting in my seat. Death Proof, Quentin Tarantino's half of throwback double feature Grindhouse, features Kurt Russell as Stuntman Mike, an aging stuntman who drives around in his specifically designed stunt car, killing women in gory car crashes. Now, I could go on, but honestly, it's going to be hard to discuss this movie without giving away very specific plot details that are meant to be surprising. Now, most likely, you, if you're listening to this, you've seen the movie, but if you haven't, you might want to take a break and go do so before continuing. Uh, Thanks for joining us. I I really do think you should go into the movie cold. Like it's not a twist movie, like a, like a, you know, M night Shyamalan or something like that, but Mm -hmm. it is best to go in not knowing where the movie's going to go. So consider yourself warned because not only is this a gearhead movie, it is a gear shift movie, makes some very dramatic and unexpected turns. But um, let's just get right into it. Get, get right into Death Proof. Um, I saw this before. I saw this twice in theaters. I saw it once on Blu-ray. I bought, um, I bought the double feature Blu-ray, which I just realized there's, a, there's an extended version of this movie that played it. I think it played at Cannes. And it is available, Death Proof, in a half an hour longer cut on Blu-ray. I don't have that. I was not able to watch it. Um, I am going to order it. I feel bad that I'm kind of like 
going to be discussing only part of the movie, but th this is theatrically how it was screened. So I saw it that way and I've watched it a few times since. Never you fear, Aaron, because I watched the same version because actually I used to have the um, Planet Terror and Death Proof separately because uh, at that time they didn't release the Grindhouse, the full-on Grindhouse version of the movies. Uh, they didn't release it for another four or five years. Yeah, I so I only had the so I only had Planet Terror and Death Proof as the the longer cuts, which they did show. They didn't show a can, I don't think, but they actually were released theatrically separately in Europe. Oh, okay, yeah, I knew I knew that. I I didn't buy these on DVD or Blu-ray until it came out in yeah. a double pack because specifically I wanted the experience of being able to hit play and go through, and all the trailers and ads would play as one thing. And I just didn't notice that one of the, the death proof release was half an hour longer. And it has the missing reel. It has, um, obviously it's mainly dialogue stuff, but then yeah. when I was reading an interview Tarantino gave, he described editing death proof that when he made the theatrical version, he chopped up, he's like, I just cut everything. It's almost incomprehensible to me right now, but I cut everything I could to try and make it fit an under 90 minute runtime oh yeah because i mean definitely there's a lot of stuff missing like you said there's the uh there's the missing reel that's spliced back into the movie there's a addition there's additional scene with um uh the character of arlene and the uh and one of the one of the dudes i guess helping her like you know go back to the car or so having a conversation outside there's also a a, a different introduction of the 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 second half of the movie where they're at a uh, like in a like a Seven Eleven and whatnot, and you see, and Kurt Russell actually is there, um, secretly teasing Rosario Dawson's foot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it's a Tarantino film, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, yeah, I I used to watch the the, the longer cuts of the movie because like I said I used to have it. But then my dumbass sold those two because my oh I got Grindhouse, but yeah I should have kept them because they're the fucking longest <laughs> they're, they're the longer cuts. I can't believe I didn't think about so, that. So you've seen it. Tell me. Yes. This is jumping way to the end. Is there any more footage of what happens to uh, what happens to Lee, the uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead character? Because they just leave her at that guy's house. And we've seen Kill Bill, so we know what that actor is up to. Unfortunately, no. That's yeah, there's nothing left. Uh we uh <laughs> they they literally just leave her there. So we're supposed to basically assume that she's just found herself assaulted by this guy living out in the middle of nowhere, who I mean, I don't think he's supposed some some people on IMDb were saying it's the same character from Kill Bill, but it's just the same actor, the guy that um, Umar Thurman yeah. uh, bites his uh, lower lip off because he's but, assaulting yeah. her while she's in the coma. Yeah, it's it's not the same character. It's just a different... It's the same actor, but different yeah. character. Uh, so that that's really dark. And it's played for such a laugh. <laughs> like, I, I'll oh, admit, yeah. everybody in the theater laughed when it... like. They just leave her there and she's napping and she wakes up and the guy's standing over her and she just goes gulp and people. Oh, 
Oh right. yeah, I mean, look, if you play that scene during cancel culture nowadays, oh, they'd be like, oh man, she's gonna like this is so bad. Everyone's gonna complain about well, it. So that yeah, maybe, maybe. I I I like to think that, especially in film fans, the people that would be watching this, there is enough nuance to realize that like that depiction doesn't mean endorsement right uh-huh. like he, he can yeah. show that and like i don't know but then you know who knows people get offended by a lot of things people get offended by just me touching my face that's how people get offended nowadays no but if you want if you show that this that scene to a normie <laughs> Then people will be bitching and moaning about it. But like, look, this movie, the Grindhouse, all in general, Grindhouse was not made for the normies because that's why the movie tanked at the box office. That movie literally came and went. But the people that saw it appreciated it. I think there's also the claim that the movie got buried by by the Weinsteins because, you know, Rose McGowan was in this. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we're gonna we should talk a little bit about Grindhouse as a whole too. But there, there's a couple of different yeah. um, takes on this. Robert Rodriguez has talked in the past about how he cast Rose McGowan in this film. That I mean, they. I mean, she's the one who kind of broke off his marriage. Yeah, yeah. He's given the story where he saw her at a at some event, and she talked about how much she loved one of his previous films, would have loved to be in it, and he asked her why she didn't audition. And she, she told him the story about how she'd been blacklisted by Weinstein. She cannot be in any Weinstein company or, uh, or Miramax. I don't know if she, she told him everything, but he, he was horrified and said, I, you're going to be, I'm writing a role for you in my next movie. So he wrote uh, Planet Terror with her in mind. And then with off of that, she also had a small part in Death Proof, different characters. Mm-hmm. He alleges that the movie was basically just like dumped into theaters by dimension, like not advertised, not given the right rollout because as payback for basically hiring this person that Harvey Weinstein was like, you're never going to work for me again, kind of thing. Yeah. Which is kind of true because the movie did kind of like, it did just come and go. I don't remember seeing a lot of ads for it. Like you, you think at that time, like a new Tarantino is a huge deal, always a huge deal. Absolutely, and I was there at the uh, at Comic Con when they um, when they did the Grand House panel. At the end of the the special trailer, it got a big standing ovation. But again, those are the people that would see this film. Would you? Would the general audience watch Grand House? Not a chance. They think, "What the fuck is this?" I will say that I saw it in theaters twice. Like I said, I saw it at I saw Same it at a regular theater. And mm-hmm. I can't remember the audience at that. Uh, the audience seemed per- receptive to it. I will tell you the second time I saw it was at the, the previously aforementioned, mentioned, uh, the previously aforementioned Beartooth Theater Pub. And yes. everybody's eating pizza. It's packed. That audience was hooting and hollering. Like everybody was into it, especially Death Proof. And we will get into the reasons why, but that that very, very satisfying moment at the end, yeah, everybody lost their minds. People were cheering so much at that. It was so much fun to see this in the theater. It's weird. I saw it twice the same day. I, I was in Burbank to see it once. And then, oddly enough, I went to Lancaster to see it the second time because a friend of mine used to live down there. And yeah. That, that satisfying moment got the biggest cheer. 
at the at the pot at the pot at the Lancaster oh, nice. Theater. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, we okay. should talk a little bit about Grindhouse in general. I guess we, I mean, we could go right into the movie, but it's worth noting if people are not familiar, this was Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino, who've, who've had a long history of working together, appearing in each other's films sometimes, yeah. showing up on sets. Like there's stories like Tarantino guest directed one scene. For a dollar. Yeah, in Sin City. <laughs> yeah, and Robert Rodriguez did the score for Kill Bill Volume 2 for a dollar. Yeah, and I think, I think, uh, I think the Sin City thing came about just because Tarantino is is staunchly 35 millimeter like film stock. He is he is very anti digital, and Rodriguez wanted Tarantino to experience filmmaking in digital. Yeah, he did it just for Rodriguez. He obviously has not shot digital since. Uh, no, obviously not. And more power to him. I I I'm a little bit like I I'm not as hardcore about it. I prefer film, but I'm I'm also kind of like. Yeah, I know where things are going, you know, it's like, it is what it is. But anyway, Grindhouse was basically them writing a love letter to the cinemas, the the trash cinema that they they kind of grew up watching. Um, Grindhouse be- theaters being, of course, fairly run down, second run theaters that would play very disreputable fare, be a little bit dangerous, <laughs> like the kind of thing that would just be not very clean. And there's all sorts of illegal activity probably happening in the bathrooms. <laughs> All the all the good times, and and they would play all these like this trash '70s cinema that they clo- both are clearly drawing from in the films that they make. I always felt, and I still feel that now after watching both of these movies again, that Robert Rodriguez made a better Grindhouse movie. Like Robert Rodriguez's film is an actual grind. I could see that playing in like an '80s Grindhouse. Like it is very much a throwback, grimy, gross, funny, action-packed horror movie. Yeah, absolutely. Tarantino basically made a Tarantino film with a, a little bit more, uh, a tiny bit more of an obvious grindhouse homage. Like, it's basically, he, he made, I think, the better movie, but it's almost like Robert Rodriguez is the one who understood the assignment. Oh yeah, because I mean Rodriguez is without a doubt like if look at all of his movies. They're all very grindhouse-ish, you know. Once Upon a Time in Mexico, even Desperate like all the El Mariachi trilogy films, you know, from Dust Till Dawn, even though that was a Tarantino script, you know. Uh but yeah, Tarantino was more the uh he he yeah, there's definitely he it was considered a horror film, you know, with a car, but it was straight up like, you know, for, of like a race car film of the 70s. Yeah, I I feel like though that his sensibilities overpowered what he was trying to do. Yeah. Because if you ask me, Kill Bill is clearly much more of a grindhouse picture than than this is. Yeah. And he himself has said that like he wanted this to be a slasher movie about a man with who's using a car, not a knife. Uh-huh. But but then when he got into it, he discovered that the slasher genre like it, it he just it's more rigid in, in different ways. Like you, he wouldn't have been able to just make it a slasher movie with a car that the tropes wouldn't have been right. And so it ended up being just basically a Tarantino film that has a couple of like grindhousey murders, you know, yeah. and some, some distressed film stock and uh, the missing reel stuff like that. I think, like, like I said, I think Rodriguez got closer to the spirit of what they were trying to do. 
But I think I do, I do prefer Tarantino's film. I don't know. I, I prefer like we're we're here to talk about Death Proof, but I will say like Planet Terror has moments that I I love. For years, like it's just in my head that that smash zoom on Jeff Fahey saying that boy's got the devil in him. Yeah. And like the musical cues in De- in Planet Terror, everything about it like is really great and memorable. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And also it makes me laugh in the behind the scenes of it. So in the movie, if you haven't seen it, skip 20 seconds of this podcast, okay? If you haven't seen it, don't listen to anything more. Go watch it yeah. and come back. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so basically, spoiler alert once again, the kid shoots himself in the movie. Yeah. Now, that made, I don't know why, but man, that made me laugh really hard because I was not expecting it, but it made me laugh. But I'm sick like that. Oh, it made our audience laugh too. As, as soon as she gave the kid the gun and was like, don't point it at yourself, everybody was like, oh, and then... When it happened, everybody laughed. Okay, okay, so we're all sick and twisted. Cool. All right, so it's funny, in behind the scenes of it, Robert Rodriguez kept telling his own son that he survived in the movie. He's like, yeah, you survived in the film. So he shot additional scenes with him in it. Like he's when he runs out of the car to go to the house. He's in all the other scenes in the movie, but it was made just for him, just to show him that he's in the film. And he said he'll tell him later on that yes, he did get he did get killed in, in Planet Terror. That was okay. I didn't realize that was his son in that film. Yeah, that's his son. Because his 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 daughters are in the film. They're in in both films actually, Death Proof and Planet Terror. Oh no, those that's his uh, that's his ex wife's uh, nieces. Okay. I, what did I think daughter is for? Uh, good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they have just like a quick cameo, I think, in the theatrical version of Death Proof. Don't they have more scenes in the extended? Uh, uh, do they? I thought they had like a line of dialogue or something. But in the theatrical version, I think you just see them going into the restaurant or something. I th- Okay, I think they... Okay, I think they might have a line, but I don't remember. I don't recall, but it's not a big, it's not a big you know, scene. The what are they the the babysitter the babysitter twins, babysitter twins yeah, but yeah but uh, with um oh sorry so what's um what are we talking about death proof right <laughs> I know we're we're jumping all over the place so the movie starts and we're following it's uh, Jungle Julia right and her group of friends in Austin uh, basically a night on the town for her friend um, is it Shanna. No, not Shanna. Shanna's the other friend. Uh, it's uh, there's Jungle Julia. There's yeah, there's Shanna. There's there's Marcy, and then uh, then there's Arlene. Sorry, that's the name of my ex girlfriend. Marcy's the the waitress, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marcy's the waitress. Like I said, the people in the first segment is like I said, Jungle Julia, Arlene, uh, Shanna, and. Um, What's it called Lana Frank? I think that's it. Those are all the people from the first segment. Well, there's there's a there's Shanna, right? Uh-huh. And Lana. Okay, so it is our um, it is Arlene. Arlene is the friend. So Jungle Julia, we start at the beginning. Jungle Julia, a DJ in Austin. She's out on the town for her friends. It's it's Arlene's birthday, correct? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. So they're out on the town. They're going to go to some bars. She set up this thing on the radio that. Basically, if somebody comes up and repeats the, buys her a drink and repeats the Robert Frost poem, 
uh, miles to go before I sleep. To her, she has to give them a lap dance. Or if she wants to, like, she, like there, there's a caveat, like she can get out of it if she wants to. It is very much just like a Tarantino thing. They're driving around, they're talking about music. They're at a bar. They're just having these meandering conversations until we get our glimpse of Stuntman Mike stuffing his face with the wettest nachos. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, also uh, his conversations with Pam at this bar. And uh, anyway, he's, you know, he's got the, the, the big mullet. He's got the jacket with the, the patches on it, like uh, uh, icy hot. So we, we basically follow them for the night. And this, this lasts like a long time for this movie. It's like 45 minutes before they, they're talking about going to the lake. They're going to go to somebody's cabin on a lake for the weekend. And it's just going to be a girls only weekend. Um, Eli Roth is in there trying to, you know, trying to get him and his friend able to go along, trying to get them drunk enough to let them go along. Eli Roth always looks creepy in everything. He just has those really creepy eyes. I mean, yes, in, in real life, he is kind of a uh, kind of a schmuck. But uh, yeah, he kind of resembles that schmuck in, in all of his movies. Well, he, he's just like a douchey frat bro, right? Yeah. And like him, I, I do kind of like him. Like he's got a love for the genre. He, he, I do like some of his movies. His, his History of Horror series on Shudder is really good or AMC. Mm-hmm. But he does come from, you know, money. And it just like oozes off of him that he, he comes from money and privilege in a way. Um, not, not to say like, I never, I don't know his personal life. He could have had lots of hardships and. Uh, his dad was a doctor. <laughs> so yeah, no hardships at all. He had wealth and privilege in his background and it, it, it is not hidden anywhere. It's just shown all over his face. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, like he does look like he would be the villain in an eighties teen sex comedy. Absolutely. <laughs> so we think the movie is kind of picking up to where like, okay, 45 minutes in is when we see that stuntman Mike is, you know, is not as the nice guy that he's portraying himself at. We (laughs) get a very awesome callback to Burt Reynolds where Rose McGowan gets into his car and he like, he's about to get in and he turns and he looks at the camera and gives it a smile Yeah, and gets into the car. And it's like, if you didn't know that there was something wrong here, that he is a wolf, basically. Yeah. Which is kind of a line that he says. Mm-hmm. You you definitely know it now. Because it is just a smile, but it's so... It's not even like an evil smile. It's just like, it's a moment where we're like, oh, it's about to get bad for her. I mean, there's no, there's no chance in hell she's going to survive this. I love the scene. I mean, it's the same scene. It's the next shot where... He asks her which way, right or left. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, she really is like, right. And he's like, oh, that's a shame. If you had gone left, it would have been a while before you started to get scared. Yeah. It, it's such a, a chilling bit of dialogue. K- Kurt Russell is nailing it. Like he's so awesome as a villain. He's, he's just like magnetic on screen. It's, it's Kurt Russell. He's always great. But the way that this dialogue rolls out when he's speaking it and what he's saying and what it means for the character and how Rose McGowan is reacting, it is a really great chilling scene. That's also 
kind of funny in a way, <laughs> like very darkly funny. No, it is. It is darkly funny. Um, no, honestly, I really wish Kurt Russell could play more villains because, man, he plays a terrific villain. Yeah, I feel the same way about Kevin Costner. Like Kevin uh-huh. Costner can play a great villain. He was good in Mr. Brooks. I don't know. Did you ever see 3000 Miles to Graceland? I did. I hated that movie. <laughs> but he's good in it, right? It's not a good movie, but I love Kevin Costner in it. Okay. No, okay, maybe not. But I it's not a good movie that I like it. <laughs> no, I'm trying to agree with you. I just no, haven't I seen it. You, you said it like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess. <laughs> no, because I'm thinking about it like, okay, all right. <laughs> I wasn't trying to shit on your on your on your critique. I promise. So what surprised me the first time I saw this movie mm-hmm. is he kills Rose McGowan basically by like she's got no seatbelts, there's no padding on her seat. Yeah. He just like keeps starting and stopping and she's banged around all through the car and, and, you know, she's bloody and kind of uh, dies. And then he starts to go after jungle Julia and the friends who are going to the cabin by the lake. And we think like, okay, he's going to start picking them off one by one. He catches up to them and kills them all at once. Yeah. And then the movie shifts to another group of people, which I will say was my main disappointment the first time I saw this. It's it's something Same I don't here. I don't find as disappointing now. It is like the psycho trick of we're killing the main character right in the beginning, like forty five minutes in, and now we're going to have the rest of the movie about somebody else. Yeah, but the way that this movie works is it's it's just repetitive, right? We get forty five minutes of intro to this char- these characters characters and they die all at once and then it starts over and we've got to watch another half an hour intro to these characters before you know the quote-unquote good stuff starts to happen like right like the action stuff yeah and it works it leads to some like really great moments but it's it's still narratively is a little bit frustrating especially on a first time viewing when you're thinking like oh quentin tarantino a slasher with a car that's gonna be so awesome no, I, I I totally agree with you because I remember the first time watching, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Like I was because originally I thought it was gonna be very a little more grindhouse grindhouse ish comparing to Planet Terror, but yeah, I, I was completely kind of surprised the way it turned. So, but the more I've watched Death Proof all like over the past over ten years, I've loved it more and more. I agree. It 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 grows on me every time. Mm-hmm. watch it and it, it's a, a little disappointing because tarantino has spoken about this as the worst movie he's ever made and it's an important distinction to saying that he's not saying it's a bad movie he, he actually says it's kind of a good movie for what it is it's just that he considers this his worst movie and for a while i was kind of like yeah well maybe i agree because what would i rank below that with the caveat that i like tarantino I like everything he's directed, right? Mm-hmm. So if it's the worst, that still means I like it. But it's weird because he calls it, I think the, the term he used it for or used for it was it's a left-handed movie. Yeah. I took to mean it's kind of like, it's not in his normal style. He's kind of doing this odd thing, like like without the care and without the, um, the attention and familiarity he would maybe approach some of his other movies but this is if you think about it just about the most personal movie he's ever made okay so much of what happens in the second half of death proof 
when we've got Zoe Bell playing herself, Abernathy, Rosario Dawson, you know, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is Lee. Uh, so much of what yes. happens in that second part is drawn from the lives of Zoe Bell and Quentin Tarantino. Like they, they basically pop all the stories that are being told come from stories that they either experienced or heard on set. Yeah. When you think about that, then you think about all of the stories that they're telling that, uh, is it Rosaria Dawson is having the, the onset romance with the movie director and the movie director made her a mixed tape, not a CD, but a tape, which I'm pretty sure Quentin Tarantino views that as one of the most romantic things somebody can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Certainly they, they treat it like that. Um, mm -hmm. Then he also talks about how, or that, that she talks about how the director uh, quote unquote fucked Daryl Hannah's stand in. Uh-huh. And of course, Daryl Hannah was just in Kill Bill. Yeah. Daryl Hannah's stand-in, Monica Staggs, played Lana in the first half of this movie. Yes. So yeah, you're right. How much of that, like, did Quentin Tarantino have a relationship with her? Or, or whatever? Like, how much of this is actually just, like, stuff from other movies? It certainly seems like it's commenting on his own personal life in a way that none of his other movies do yeah huh i didn't think about that actually well it's interesting to it is interesting to kind of like see how it blurs the line a little bit like it don't it could seem like these people are all on break from a quentin tarantino movie yeah that's true let's see do you have anything you want to say i've got a couple more notes but well i was gonna say with zoe bell like this was her first acting acting role because she's always she's she's of course she's been a stunt woman for many years, yeah. Um, on Xena, Hercules, all the the Sam Raimi like TV shows, uh, because she's a New Zealander. So um, and also she was Uma Thurman's stunt double in in the Kill Bill movies. Yeah, that's another thing that I was like, it's another uh, it's another like personal mm. uh, connection there, right? Like. It, mm -hmm. And clearly, like, they didn't even give her a, a different name. She's just Zoe. <laughs> so I feel like Zoe Bell is not really acting. She's just playing herself, you know, because I know there's some people like, oh, she can't act. I'm like, she's not really acting. She's just fucking playing herself, you know? Like, because, and also, uh, what's it called? A couple of years ago, I actually met Zoe Bell at a, at a screening of Come to Daddy. Uh, it was um, the, the Elijah Wood movie. Have you seen it? Yes. Yeah, I was at a screening of it because my uh, my editor of uh, my main editor for uh, the website Nightmarish Conjurings, which I write for sometimes, uh, she was moderating the Q and A with Elijah Wood and and Timson, the director. And we I saw we all saw Zoe Bell there. I'm like, what is she doing here? She's not in this movie. And then for, uh, I don't know. I just kind of walked up to her. I'm like, hey, so. Um, well, so what are you doing here for? What are you here for? She's like, oh, I'm just supporting my Kiwi, uh, her, her friend, and Timson, the director. Huh. And throughout that time, I was having a conversation with her, and then my editor from Creepy Kingdom, the other website I work, I, I write for, and a couple of other people that we work together with, we just were just shooting the shit with Zoe for like around maybe five, ten minutes. She was going nowhere. <laughs> she was just talking to us, and I... Uh, I kind of brought up because a week before that screening, I went to see uh, I I, um, I belong to a bad movie group, and we we just watched the movie Bitch Slap. Have you heard of it? No, I can't say I have. 
Okay, IMDb, the movie Bitch Slap. Basically, this movie is was directed by one of the one of the directors that have done Spartacus and Hercules, Xena, all those shows, uh, the Sam Raimi TV shows. And basically, this movie has everybody from Hercules and Xena in the movie. Everybody, even Kevin Sorbo and Lucy Lawless is in it for like five, like less than two minutes. Like everybody has cameos from those shows. But Zoe Bell actually was the fight choreographer for the movie, and also she was all three of the main actresses' stunt doubles in the movie. Oh, okay. So, and it's not a good movie. Just letting you know that it's a really bad movie. Um, no. So I, I I walked up to so when I saw her, I'm like, oh, by the way, I just want to let you know, I just saw Bitch Slap again last week. She and she just smiled at me and laughed. She's like, oh God, why? Did you tell her it was for a bad movie nightclub? No, no, I just say uh, I just want to watch it. No, I didn't want to tell her that, but I'm sure she probably would assume. But I'm like, I and I so asked her like, how did you, how did you get the role? She's like, I just did it for a friend. Yeah. Like we're all like, she, he was, uh, he asked me, he's like, hey Zoe, you want to be in this movie? Like, yeah, sure. And that was basically it. She just did it mainly just for a friend. But yeah, you can tell because yeah, everybody it just it just looked like it was just for, it was just for them because yeah, it it was. It's it's a tribute to the Russ My- like kind of like going the Russ Meyer route. Okay, but again, there th- there's so much stuff that that they could have executed better. There's some moments I liked, but it's not a good film. But yes, the stunt work is fun. But no, no back to back to Zoe for a second. Zoe is the MVP of Death Proof, especially the the big scene. Should, should we talk about that scene? Oh, of course, of course. The, the whole part where she's uh, what do they call it like she's she ship's nast ship's nast thank you she basically get like there's they're driving a ch- is it a challenger they're charging down the road down the down the highway in in uh i guess they shot it in california she gets out of the car high speed driving grabs two belts gets in front of the car and just rides the front of the car and then out of nowhere uh, stuntman Mike sees sees them, and then he starts driving up, starts banging in the banging in the car back and forth. She's she's like losing control. She loses one of the one of the belts. Now she's hanging on to one. And ba- th- just letting you know, this 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 is all done practical. There is no CGI. There is no harness. It's just Zoe Bell and belts, <laughs> and it's very sturdy belts. And then out of nowhere, she lets go of the other belt. Now she just has gloves on and she's holding on to her dear fucking life. And then she turns around and her head is up in front of the in front of the car. That moment where he hits the car and she spins. Yeah. I was like, it happened so fast that you, you may not even notice it. You just like, oh, wait, she's backwards now. But it's. I, I, I've seen this movie at least four times. I was on the edge of my seat because that it's such a tense, uh, it, it's so tense seeing her just holding on to these straps on this car. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, I get it. Literally, my heart was like pumping horribly throughout that entire scene. Every time I watched it at the, in the theater, even now, even when I saw it recently, I'm just like, I know how it's going to end. But good Lord, that stunt is phenomenal the way they execute that that stunt like and of, and of course she has to act like she's going to die but in reality it looks like she's going to die <laughs> because there is nothing to hold her hold on to her 
And then finally, when when they finally, you know, they stop and having just Kurt Russell have this maniacal life, but he's he he sees it as it's all a game, you know. Well, yeah, a game, but he's gonna kill them. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, uh, Kim just grabs her gun, just shoots him in the arm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, part of me wonders why nobody grabbed the gun earlier while they're driving, but whatever, it, you wouldn't have had the scene. Yeah. Um, I want to say that this movie, this scene in the theater twice, both times, people were tense. You could feel people in the theater were tense. So, so much so that you, there's a moment where you're you're meant to think that Zoe Bell has died because after she shoots at Stuntman Mike, you finally get to see a long shot of the car and Zoe Bell isn't there. And they're just looking ahead where, like, presumably Zoe Bell has gone flying. Yeah. And they're getting sad and they're looking crying. And then there's just a sudden, like, a, long, a shot of, the, like, tall weeds and just Zoe Bell jumps up. I'm okay. <laughs> Oh no, it gets such a laugh. Like you can just feel like everybody, the tension in the room, everybody just like, oh, like it's so, it, it, this movie, like for not fitting really, for failing at being a slasher like he wanted, it really does have the great like tension raising and tension relief moments that you really hope for in this type of movie. Absolutely. I mean, again, and just having that one, split moment of her like smiling and saying i'm okay like that's again me- meeting zoe bell that's exactly how she is <laughs> she's so fucking bubbly <laughs> and this leads to yes one of the best moments in horror movie history just so unbelievably satisfying when zoe bell comes up and she's like what's everybody crying for and they're like and She's like, well, so where's this maniac? And like, ah, oh, he drove off. And she's like, well, y- you want to get him? And <laughs> and Kim kind of just does this really long, like, oh, like she's throwing her hair head back, like, oh, hell yeah. And the absolute adrenaline rush when she says that, when you see this in the theater, because the first time I saw it, I was convinced it was going to be like, oh, hell no. And then, like, we'll see what the movie does from there. But when yeah. she's just like, yeah. And, like, and like the, even Rosaria Dawson is like, well, screw that. Let's go kill this asshole <laughs> when they're trying to leave her there. Yeah. I don't want to do this. And she's like, no, I want to do this. <laughs> like, just the excitement in this scene and, like, the glee and the, like, we're going to get this asshole attitude people applauded at both times I saw this in the theater and it's such a rush. It's a satisfying, it's, a, it's, it's definitely a satisfying moment in, in the movie. I do like in these moments, how well Kurt Russell plays this in that, like as soon as he gets hurt at all, he's just crying. He's like, Oh fuck. Oh no. Why? Why? <laughs> like, what am I going to do? And he just seems like every, like every little kid, who has just done something and realizes that that it was not a good idea, like 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 a kid who just broke his mom's favorite lamp or something like that, and yeah. is how am I gonna fix this? What am I gonna do? And like crying and snots running down. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny to me. It, it's so good. Oh no! And then him just uh, 
trying to get the courage to uh to pour the whiskey or the the bottle the bottle of liquor on his arm where he got shot at he's like do it do it <laughs> and he just squeaks it really quick and just sh- just drenches yeah. his arm and he's just screaming <laughs> he just has this curdling scream it's just it's so fucking hysterical it's funny to me also because he this is obviously months after the first murder but what like he would have <laughs> he would have he was in the hospital for a while he like really banged himself up he would have done this many times in his life he's got that horrible scar down the side of his face so he's experienced pain but it's still just yeah. funny to me that now like he just the the slightest pain and he's just like a bawling baby exactly um and i I love how when they're driving and she's up close he's like i'm sorry i'm sorry okay (laughs) (laughs) they're like oh he's sorry look at that but no this yeah but it it just gets more satisfying the, the 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 um the last five minutes of the movie yeah like i this entire car chase with stuntman mike is incredibly gripping um there's just shots in it that are so cool it's impossible to look away like i i like tarantino i i really i like everything that he's he's done i do like i i would like to see him do more outright action because a couple of times he's done like action action kill bill um this just like there's some scattered stuff here and there, like J- Django, but yeah. there's stuff here and there, and Inglorious Bastards, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh-huh. It, that's not like the focus, but when he does action, it's it can be so cool. Oh yeah, I mean he again, it's a guy who loves action movies. He's a he's a guy who loves movies in general, and you can see the love that he puts into these um, action sequences. You know, it's it's pure pure cinema. You know. <laughs> Uh, well, do you want to talk at all about how this kind of fits in with the rest of the Tarantino verse, or even with uh, uh, Planet Terror in this in this uh, little duology here? Yeah, shoot, go ahead. Because we've got we've got some actors reappearing. Quentin Tarantino plays a role in both De- uh, Death Proof and Planet Terror. In Planet Terror, he's like racist rapist number one, I think. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he doesn't even have a name. It's just rapist number one. Um, I this may not go in the show. I have that his action figure. I oh I, nice. I have two copies of his action figure because when it came out and I saw it on the shelves and it's like rapist number one. This is not going to go in toy stores. I bought a co- I bought two copies thinking like oh man I'll put this on eBay in like a couple months. It's never gone up in value. It's like nobody cares. That's so funny. Yeah, so he plays like the rapist in uh, Planet Terror. He plays Warren, the bar owner, in the first half of Death Proof. Yes. And Rose McGowan is in both of his scenes, actually, um, because he is the... Rose McGowan is the woman that he is assaulting or attempting to. Never gets The rapist, her. as you say. Yeah, which, knowing now what we know about her being in this movie and her history with Weinstein and then she's in a Weinstein movie acting this is a little bit like queasy in a way that wasn't in, I mean well maybe it was intended because Rodriguez knew the history of what had happened yeah 
it's odd to think about now. Um, yeah. Then, oh, so, so Rose McGowan plays two different characters. Then we've got actors that appear that are the same characters. Like I said, like I said the babysitter twins are kind of, I think, yeah. meant to be the same. Yeah, I um, think supposed to be the same. And Michael Parks, don't forget Michael Parks. Michael Parks and son number one are both in this and they're they're playing the same characters they're actually at the same hospital we hear dr block yeah dr block Mar marley shelton does appear in this so uh well michael parks of course has appeared in several other rodriguez and tarantino projects as the same character he's the uh he's the cop that shows up on the scene after the bride is killed in the flashbacks of kill bill and michael parks also played the same character in from dust till dawn yes a uh, great, uh, great little character actor, little character actor. I don't know why I like have to, he's a, he's a great character actor, <laughs> um, shows up in a lot of things. He was in Tusk for Kevin Smith. Oh, he's amazing in Tusk. I don't care what, I don't care what people say about that movie. I love that film. Uh, that movie's a lot of amazing. fun. I, I think it's a lot of fun. Thank you. Okay. So you're a Tusk sympathizer with me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was also, he had a couple of episodes on, uh twin peaks in the second season okay but he he also he's kind of the kind of actor that would have inspired rick dalton in once upon a time in hollywood yeah absolutely like, especially like the shows he was on like then came bronson or uh roots yeah he was on just an episode of that but he, he's been in a lot of tv wagon train so he would have kind of kind of inspired that character or or that not inspired that character but that character is kind of a pastiche of the type of character actor that Michael Parks is, yeah. Which I guess I mean that maybe that maybe that's the um, maybe that's the future for Rick Dalton at the end of after the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, yeah, most likely. Um, I think Michael Parks was supposed to be in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood before he passed. Oh, that that makes sense. That would have been nice. I mean, he's he's always like he's always fun to see. Oh, he's great. He's oh, he's always fun. And then um, I, I I forget. I mean, yeah. Besides Tusk, Red State, the other Kevin Smith film he was in. So, do you have anything more that you want to say about uh, Death Proof? Uh, do you want to talk about the, the 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 music of Death Proof really quick? It's a Tarantino. It's a Tarantino soundtrack. So you know you're going to get quality. I don't know if I asked you this or asked someone else this, but has there been a bad Tarantino soundtrack? I don't think so. I I can't think of any. Exactly. There, I love this one. Um, I think this one and Kill Bill probably got the most replay from me. Uh, aside from maybe like Pulp Fiction, because Pulp Fiction when I was in high school is one of the few CDs I owned <laughs> for a while. So I listened to that like to death. I think this Death Proof and Kill Bill have the most like jams on it, like just songs that I listen to. And it's like, holy shit, this is like making my heart bump. It, like my yeah i'm thinking of uh the dave d dozy beaky mick and titch song yeah. hold tight yeah when i first saw that song or not first saw it, when i first saw that scene and heard that song i was like who is this holy shit this it's is a, it's a banger it is so good and then that that chick habit song that closes it out is really great oh of course he uses some really great like uh like really great library music not library music but it's bits of score from other films or shows yeah and also the song down to mexico which is not in the grindhouse version but it's in the longer cut 
it's the missing reel scene. It's what? Oh, it is. Oh, I, that's another thing I wanted to talk about, the missing reel. So the missing reel in this is pretty much just the lap dance, right? It, yeah, it's the, it's the lap dance sequence. The, the missing reels, I think, I think it's another case where Robert Rodriguez was more successful with it because it's funny. Like the, the audience is going to be like, oh, we're going to see the lap. Oh, no, we're not going to see the lap dance. That's, that's kind of a funny moment. Uh-huh. In Planet Terror, the moment where like they're having sex and then it's like uh, real missing and it comes back and the entire building is on fire and everybody is like running and there's like a whole bunch more survivors there. It was such a funny edit to me. Oh, absolutely. No, I think that definitely executed better. And someone asked like, oh, is the missing reel like been shot? And he's like, no, <laughs> no, we didn't shoot that. Why would you? It's like it, it's it works so much better to not know. And it's just suddenly things gone to hell. Yeah, you have new characters. You have new, yeah. You have additional people coming in. So yeah, it's funny. But no, the the Terran, the the death proof scene. But yeah, the, um, I understand that's the missing reel. But uh, but yeah, I mean, have, have you've seen it, right? You've seen the 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 lap dancing. No, I haven't. Oh, I've seen it. Um, I mean, it's it's lovely, but uh, uh, it's a good. I mean, and it's and it's wonderfully choreographed to the song "Down to Mexico" by the Coasters. It's a great song. If you listen, like it's just listen to the song. It's actually a lot of fun. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. Just type in "Down to Mexico." It's a really fun song. The song's great. Everything's on it. Great. Uh, everything on it is great. Stago Lee is really awesome. Mm -hmm. Baby, it's you is awesome. Yeah. Uh, everything on it. It's so good. It's it's such a it's just a great soundtrack. But yeah, it's a great soundtrack. But again, what what Tarantino soundtrack? sucks there's yeah. no there, there's no such there's no such thing as a, as a sucky tarantino soundtrack there's always going to be a banger there's always going to be amazing cues like i think out of all of them i think django is still my favorite second oh, yeah. set my second favorite is actually once upon a time in hollywood Real, that's the one soundtrack i don't own it's funny enough okay i i need to re-watch because i saw i saw once upon a time in Hollywood once in theaters. And I need to, I need to sit down and do it again. I was going to say, I, 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 I've talked to people that have seen that film more than 27 times in the theater. I'm like, wow, really? Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I watched it and I was like, Oh, this is like, this is Tarantino really doing a hangout movie. And I, I love the ending to it. I love, I mean, I could just sit there and I don't know. It, it is, maybe one day I'll do an episode to, devoted to it, but it is Quentin Tarantino kind of like wanting to preserve the Hollywood of his youth in Amber. Right. Like, Oh, absolutely. Like that. And, and that whole ending, it's just like, you could feel the anger and the rage at Manson for having basically brought about the end to all that. Like he's yeah. Tarantino in the end of that movie is basically just like, letting out all of the anger and rage decades of anger and rage at the end of the idealistic sixties. <laughs> yeah. I love it. It's such a, it's a, but it's still in real life. It's such a heartbreaking moment to see that could have been the ultimate reality. Oh yeah. I get it. Yeah. It, it's so hard. It's heartbreaking to even watch that. But I mean, yes, it's a satisfying ending, but it's also kind of heartbreaking if if you know the real story about it, but who doesn't know the real story? Who doesn't know the real story? Point, about yeah, it? We don't need to get into it. Exactly. 
but yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's I I last time I saw it, I haven't seen it in, in in the past couple of years since it came out, so it's gonna be nice seeing it with the new Bev. Oh shit! I forgot to mention Buddy Joe Hooker from uh, from Hooper, huh? one of the stunt people from Ho- from Hooper, actually was the driver of Stuntman Mike and Death Proof. That is interesting. I did not know that. I should. I completely up. forgot to say that on Death Proof. All right. Well, now you've said it. It's in the episode. This is being recorded. Oh, awesome! <laughs> Do we think we we've covered Death Proof? Anything else you want to bring up? I, I I think it's time for the for for the amazing top five. All right. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back for that top five. Okay. And we're back and we're going to say our goodbyes in a minute, but we're going to bring back something we're we're kind of phasing out, just doing here and there, but uh, we're bringing back our top fives. And this time I think we've come up with top five stunt movies, right? Yeah, stunt movies or like just um or a uh, an actor that's playing a stuntman, you know, or stunt woman. Oh, well that there, that's good. I kind of went with with movies that I thought had really um memorable stunts. Okay, and yeah, same same here. I, I get, my move my list gets a little less specific as it goes on. <laughs> oh, that's uh, fine. But um I'm going to go I'm going to go first. I am going to go with uh something that I thought of a lot while watching Hooper. Uh, the man with the golden gun. Ooh. Specifically, I'm going to go with the car chase that uh, includes that great 360 flip of the car over the the bridge over the, the creek. Yeah. That is, it's amazing when you look up what they had to do. They had all the math that they had to do to figure out the weight of that car and how to do it so it would flip and land on its wheels and keep driving. Yeah. It's. Like the, they had to specifically design the interior of the car. So the stuntman is basically laying down in the center of the car while driving. It, it's really cool. It looks awesome. They completely ruin it by adding a fucking slide whistle sound effect. When the really? car flips. If you watch the movie, there's like, as the car is flipping. <laughs> it's, it's the most ridiculous choice that it absolutely ruins an awesome, awesome stunt. This is the movie with um with Christopher Lee, right? And right. Uh, Christopher what... Lee is the hero of the movie. Really? Well, I my, I always say that Christopher Lee is the hero of that movie because he has developed clean energy, and his plan is to sell it to the highest bidder. He is not holding governments for ransom. He's not trying to like screw anybody over he's just like i've invented this technology who wants to buy it and mi6 is like we're sending assassin after assassin after assassin to this guy and the only thing he does is he kills mi6 agents when they trespass on his island to try and kill him yeah seems okay seems legit (laughs) in the late 60s we could have had clean like zero emission energy (laughs) and mi6 just had to ruin it you know what well, you gotta not primp yourself as a supervillain, first off. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, I haven't seen that film in forever. I don't even remember that much. I know what's his name. Uh, uh, it, that guy. Yeah, I, uh, I, I forgot he's in it. It's hard doing his voice. My throat hurts right now. Um, in no particular order. Uh, the, 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 the next my, my, top, my top one of the tops is uh, the Blues Brothers. Yeah. 
the Blues Brothers with their amazing police car chase sequence. Do you not have any idea how many police cars they had to demolish for that scene? How many? <laughs> a lot, right? I couldn't, I, I didn't count. Oh, I forgot. I, I don't remember how many, but it, it's a lot. But the uh, in Blues Brothers 2000, not a good movie at all. But they, but John Landis topped that, and I think it was like over a hundred cars were demolished for that scene. My next one is uh, uh, Buster Keaton, the General. Oh, perfect. Which I, I could have gone with. I could have gone with Steamboat Bill Jr., which probably has one of the most memorable stunt, uh, like stunts he ever did, where the house falls on him. If the math had been wrong, he would have been crushed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm going to go with the general, partly because like, if you can see it on a big screen, it's so impressive what he does on that train. And like, there's, there's a moment in it where he jumps on a train track and he misses and he just falls through. And it's such a, a surprise to the audience. And so it's so funny looking. Um, also, this is the movie that broke his back. Like he, he broke vertebrae in his back and didn't find out for years later. And the shots in the movie, like, it's when he's like uh, at the water refueling station. Uh -huh. He's he's hanging off of the rope and the water like washes down and knocks him to the ground. Yeah. He, he broke vertebrae in his back and didn't find out about it until years later. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's awful. Yeah. I mean, he, he was, uh, he was pretty hardcore and his movies like, God, they still hold up a lot of silent. There's a lot of silent comedians that actually like Chaplin Harold Lloyd, like mm. there are some really great stuff down there, but Buster Keaton is probably like top for me. Okay. All right. Um, what's it called? My next my next movie is Action USA. Okay. Tell me about this because I've been seeing some stuff about this lately, but I don't know what it is. Um, one of your past guests, uh, Jacob Davidson, just posted about it on, on Twitter. Um, so Action USA, I'll, I'll give you the premise. I'll, uh, I'll whip that out really quick. After her boyfriend is murdered by the gangsters whose diamonds he stole, a girl is protected by two FBI agents who plan to keep her for sharing the same fate. So, you know, the plot's not that big, but the, the guy who directed it is named John Stewart. Not the Daily Show John Stewart, but John Stewart is a, uh, is a, uh, is a stuntman. And this was, I believe, his first movie that he did. That he directed, I can just whip that out. Yeah, this is the first movie he directed, and he actually directed a film. He directed his own biopic. I see that now. And it and the guy playing him is uh, Thomas. Uh, what's it called? Jason David Frank, who was the Green Ranger in the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and John Stewart also directed several episodes of the of the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers as well. This Action USA, it's again, it's another stunt-filled heavy movie. There's so many amazing stunts in this film. There's like a free fall like out of a building. There's, uh, there's this amazing, amazing stunt where a guy is being dangled out of a helicopter, like down the streets of Texas, on the streets, above the air. And he's literally just dangling throughout the entire – I mean, you can tell he's on a harness, but still, they're literally dangling him throughout the entire streets – uh, where where they're shooting in Texas, like I said, the helicopter isn't street is is on the street, just going down the street where cars are, and it is an impressive stunt. And then of course, when they finally get to the water, they push him off. But yeah, that that's probably my favorite stunt in in Action USA. But there's a lot of great stunts. It's on Prime right now, but also Vinegar Syndrome put out a great Blu-ray out of it. But I think that's out of print now. So, but I think MV MVD. 
I think it's called. They put out a new version of Action USA. Oh, okay. Well, I will look into it. I'll, I'll put that on my list. And I'll I probably mean, end up just watching it on Prime. It's a quick hour and 37 minute film, and it goes by fast. It's it's just it's just pure late 80s, early 90s gold. It's, I mean, it sounds like actually something I'm really in the mood for right now. So I will, I will probably watch it tonight. Perfect. Okay, my next pick, uh, I mentioned there... Uh, maybe I shouldn't have mentioned this. There might be some animal cruelty in this scene. I'm going to go with the zombie versus shark scene from Zombie or Zombie, ah, whichever, okay. or zombie Flesh Eaters, whichever one you... Like, it's gone by those titles. Uh, yeah. Lucio Fulci's like, zombie epic uh, sequel pseudo-sequel to George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. It's not really a sequel. It's just kind of fit into the, the, the franchise as it's advertised in Europe. Anyway, there's a scene where a underwater zombie tussles with a shark. And it's a real shark and a real guy in makeup <laughs> underwater. And clearly the shark has been doped up. Like it's not, it's either, it's been fed, it's probably been drugged a little bit. It's not very violent, but they are still underwater wrestling with a shark they're still putting a fake arm in the shark's mouth and having the shark bite it off and it's like yeah okay they drugged that shark it's been fed so it's not really hungry but it's a real shark and they're like <laughs> they're, they're goading it into biting body parts off of the stuntman it's frankly ridiculous Oh, I mean, of course it's ridiculous. I mean, uh, look, at least the, the bright side didn't kill the shark. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's let's. Actually, I haven't looked into it, but I'm gonna I'm going to assume they didn't. <laughs> let's let's make this let's make that a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. Um, my next pick is actually uh, I'm I'm gonna go back to a Hal Needham movie. Uh, this movie actually this is a movie I actually wanted to bring up for this episode, but uh, it's called Rad the the B, the BMX movie. I haven't seen this movie since I was a kid. Yeah, this this movie just came out, I think, a year or two ago on a beautiful, brand new 4K Ultra HD version. That Vinegar Syndrome, out of all of all uh, um, home video distributions, Vinegar Syndrome put it out in a brand spanking new 4K restoration. All this great special features. They sold out in us in literally in a couple in a month or two. Yeah, and now they're going up on eBay for over two three hundred dollars. But uh, Mills Creek put out a Blu-ray of the of Rad uh, that you can buy now, and it um and it it's it's almost a couple of the there's a couple of things from the Vinegar Syndrome version that's on the Blu-ray on on the Mills Creek Blu-ray, but not all of it is from the uh, Vinegar Syndrome uh, release. But um, if you want to know the premise, it's a story about one young man, Clue Jones, played by uh, Bill Allen, uh, who has the intensity and desire to win a BMX race called Hell Track. And um, actually, this movie is going to be shown, I believe, in July in the San Fernando Valley. I forgot where in the valley, but they're having an outdoor screening event, and Bill Allen's going to be there. And, uh, and another like big BMXer is going to be there as well. So just in case, if anyone's interested, they're going to yeah. have a, a, a drive-in screening of Rad. Uh, awesome. So I don't have a specific stunt to point to, although there are several. I'm going to go with uh, a pretty recent movie. I'm going to go with Premium Rush, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Bicycle oh, Mets. my God. That movie doesn't get talked about that much. I really like that movie. It, I agree. I agree. Um, that's why I brought it up is because I, I think – I think people recognize it as a good movie. I think it gets respect from the right audience, but man, the, the, 
the stunts in this movie, it made me want to take up like, like when I watched <laughs> this, I lived back in Alaska. But I was like, holy crap, I want to take up like extreme biking. <laughs> like that was <laughs> awesome. And I love how like all of the major action set pieces kind of have a variety of settings and uh-huh. they, they kind of, it's like they they operate on a different aspect of how the physics of working a bike would work would be like there's some that are just like speed and you're going as fast as you can through these tight areas there's another one where he's got to go like up and down these various planes so he's kind of jumping the bike a bit yeah the movie could be really dumb but it's got like this really awesome elastic kind of action to it while still being like within the realm of realistic physics (laughs) like it's not like it's it's not like operating on cartoon physics. Michael Shannon in this movie is so good. Uh, and the, and the, the writer-director is David Cope. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's such a uh, fun movie. It's so great. Absolutely. Like, I, need to wa- I need to rewatch it again because I remember watching it the first time and I'm like, damn, this is really good. Yeah, anyway, that, that's all. People go see it. Go see it. It's great. Yes, absolutely. Uh, my next pick is, this is an obvious pick. Um, just... Two, two, two words. Jackie Chan. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought him up. Okay, yeah. So my, my pick is Police Story One, the, the movie that made him a fucking international superstar. Okay. Now again, this man for so many years has done his all of his own stunts. He's directed most of his movies. You can tell when he's doing a stunt, the camera usually either zooms in on him. Or he just, you can clearly see it is him doing the stunt. Police Story 1 has several amazing stunt sequences. I mean, there's cars demolishing a small village down a hill. There's Jackie Chan going down a hill, a super steep hill that one one quick, like, one trip, he's going to tumble and die. There's there's a scene where he's hanging on a double-decker bus with a fucking umbrella. (laughs) With an umbrella hook, and he's just dangling all over the fucking place. And of course, the famous scene where he he jumps off a railing and slides down a pole in a mall, and just all these all these shards of like broken like lights, light bulbs are like shattering his skin, burning his arm, burning his hands, and it is just so it is just amazing because again, that scene there's like. Th- they show all three, four cameras that are going on, and it's him. It's him going down that railing. It is a beautiful scene, but also you can feel the pain that he's going through. I, I'm so happy you mentioned this. That was on my list, too. And also Drunken Master, too, I think. Oh, yeah. Is that the one where he, he falls back into the burning coals and like pushes his way out of it? Yes. Warner yeah. Archive just put out a great Blu-ray out of it. Blue that movie that's one of my favorite jackie chan movies and police story is actually the one i picked first because i was like i was like that shanty town that when they're just demolishing that shanty town is so impressive but the drunken master what what really also put that on my short list was you you could easily have faked that like just like had a light underneath the orange so it looks like they're burning coals but yeah if you, if you watch the bloopers at the end and he stands up and you see his outfit has been singed and is smoking and he's like quickly putting flames out, he actually fell into burning coals for that shot. Oh yeah. I mean, look, he had a fireproof, like, you know, he had the fireproof in his entire self. I mean, you can see in his hands, he's not burned at all, Yeah, but 
it's fucking it's still like holy shit <laughs> like i would never do that <laughs> no i mean obviously he's taking precautions but it's still like really like it goes the extra mile for something that happened so quick and could easily have been faked yeah absolutely my next final pick since you chose janky chan but i'm going to stick in the same kind of general martial arts uh genre mm-hmm. is i'm going with ongbok oh yeah I've I've watched a lot of Jackie Chan. I was watching. I, I mean, I, I watched a lot of Jackie Chan, Jet Li, Donnie Yen, um, mm-hmm. Michelle Yeoh. Like, I was like, not. I'm not going to say I was an expert, but I was thoroughly steeped in martial arts film by the time Ong Bak came out. And Ong Bak is the last time I remember seeing a martial arts film and a new martial arts film. Well, maybe the raid after it, but Ong Bak, I remember watching it and my jaw dropping like i had never been this surprised by an action movie in well, i hadn't in a very long time and uh, it was it was years ago it was before it got an american release a friend came back with, from comic-con with a vcd of it it was so like unbelievable and unbelievably brutal the fighting i don't think i'd ever seen like muay thai boxing utilized like that i'd, I'd only seen like demonstrations of it i'd never seen it like hitting people with your elbows and your knees right there, there's a scene in Ongbok that really like i, I kind of don't want it ruined but i want to know how they did it where he runs towards a plate glass window and does a flip off of it like he walks up it a bit does a couple steps to flip off of it and the person behind him runs is like driving a an atv and runs it through the window and crashes out the other side so it's clearly glass but it's like he was able to run and flip off of it <laughs> and yet it just broke for the next person. Jesus. I thought Tony Jaw was going to be the next Jackie Chan. Oh, I... that's, that's what they're, that's what they're planning. I mean, in the, in the, in the movie, the protector, there's a scene where he walks by a guy that looks exactly like Jackie Chan in an airport, which basically is showing him like, Oh, it's, it's uh Jackie Chan passing the torch to Tony jaw. Like it's a very, obvious obvious um shot um if i haven't mentioned it to you before triple threat from 2019 it's on netflix okay um it's uh tony jaw tiger who um michael jai white and uh eco eco always i think and and scott atkins okay it's so it, it's basically just like a who's who of current direct-to-video action films. Uh-huh. It's really great. It, it's a lot of fun. I do like Michael Jai White, though. I mean, come on, you got Black Dynamite. My final pick is, uh, it's coincidental that I picked this one, but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> just ah, okay. Cliff, Cliff Booth. Yeah, yeah. Brad Pitt as, as, uh, as Rick Dalton's stuntman. That, yeah, well, we talked about it a bit, but that's a good movie. That's such a good movie. Yes. We're going to have to get going here. We're about out of time. Do you have anything more or anything you want to say? Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on on all the, the interwebs, uh, on the tweets, the YouTubes, and the Instagrams. Uh, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at the real Johnny underscore D as in dog underscore D. Uh, you can, uh, if you want to see my, my, the, the shorts or any other projects I've done, go to Vimeo.com slash John M D 84. And, uh, again, you, and also I just put out a, a review for, uh, the amusement, George Aramos, the amusement park, 
uh, which comes, yeah, and that comes out next uh, next Tuesday on Shutter. But you can read my review for it on creepykingdom.com. And I think that's that's all the whoring I have to do. <laughs> well, that's great. I'll put out a link too as well for the Vimeo and, and all that. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you them. Okay. So uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you for listening. Uh, as always, if you want, please rate, review, and subscribe. All that stuff really does help. Tell a friend. Retweet. Oh, God, I don't want to be too pushy um, <laughs> no do it it's your podcast push know, know. push it <laughs> uh but yeah tell a friend let, let let some people know if you're enjoying the show and if you want to follow along with us i am on twitter and instagram both places at two-headed pod there's also a facebook group you you can find that pretty easily just look up the incredible two-headed podcast and if you have a message you want to drop or a question you want to ask there is a gmail two-headed pod at gmail.com And that's going to do it from us. So uh, thank you very much for joining in. I will see you next week with another incredible two-headed podcast.